Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two of this football Friday edition of the Jeff Dean Show, our 10th show since returning back to the airwaves here in uh, in Tucson. And whether you're joining us via the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9 FM, or if you're listening via the live stream on ESPNTucson.com, we do appreciate you tuning in and uh, thank you for joining us. Again, we're, uh, we're working on and we're efforting different ways for you to interact with the show right now. You're uh, available to, uh, you're welcome to join us on Twitter. You can uh, hit me up at UAZ Voice. That's at UAZ Voice. You can uh, come check me out there, hit me there, and you can at me. And if you have opinions on something that I said or if you need to correct me on something, that's fine as well. I do make mistakes from time to time. And, you know, in the in the world of, of uh, moving and quickly here through the through the radio show, sometimes you just misspeak and you end up having a, situation where you say something wrong when that's fine it's all good it's what we're here to do have some fun just like the, just like jed fish says he's going to have some fun playing some uh some some football this year down in tucson and we're very very happy for that and looking forward to fan fest um i've already talked to um i've already talked to the the folks over there at arizona athletics and we've got some cool things uh, on the docket for the fans coming up in the next few weeks stay tuned more announcements to come We'll be talking some NFL here coming up as well. The Hall of Fame game is next Thursday, okay, Steelers and Cowboys. Yeah, it's already here. This is, this is one of the, the good things about, and I've, I've been talking with people about this, this has been one of the really good things about the NBA season being altered and pushed back as far as it did. Because normally the NBA finals start shortly after Memorial Day, and they usually end around June 10th, June 12th. They're usually finished by then and we have like two sometimes two and a half months of nothing i mean look let's call it like it is june and july baseball <laughs> unless you're a diehard or you're like a rotisserie you know fantasy player in baseball you're probably not paying too much attention okay here in on the west coast at least if you're on the east coast if you're a red sox yankees fan you're paying attention every stinking day that's all they talk about back there is uh, is baseball but if you're out here on the west coast there's other things going on right so we uh you know we a lot of times call the dog days of summer so it's been nice to have the nba finals go all the way up till mid late july where we turn around and we look and we go holy crap in three weeks we have a preseason football game to play and college football is starting up of course with their uh you know their summer uh summer practices and then of course you know september hits and College football kicks off, and we're ready to rock and roll. But there is a there is a, a game coming up in uh, in just a few days, six days to be exact, from you know in the NBA or the NBA in the NFL. I got NBA right in front of me in the NFL, and the Dallas Cowboys are going to be taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Hall of Fame game. And both of those uh, teams have been in training camp. And I want to kind of just break down some of the things that you know we're going to see from me, from these teams, give some predictions and such. Because we're gonna we're gonna talk about every single team here leading up to their first games in the preseason, and then leading up into the NFL season as well. Now, of course, we'll start with the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, they're gonna be on hard knocks, so we're going to be able to get access to that team that we don't normally have, or that we wouldn't have to the other thirty-one teams certainly. And it'll be interesting to see 
what the offseason changes bring for the Dallas Cowboys. The two biggest changes being obviously getting Dak Prescott back from injury, the disappointing injury that he suffered last season, and then Dan Quinn bringing in his scheme uh, that, that you know that, that he's going to bring to the defensive side, uh, bringing in that 4-3 scheme, taking over for Mike Nolan, uh, who was uh, fired in the offseason by head coach Mike McCarthy. So the the new additions, essentially, I guess, offseason acquisitions, Micah Parsons, the draft pick from Penn State, the linebacker, obviously going to be a dynamic player. He is he, he's so, so, so good. Uh, he really is. And then they brought in Keanu Neal, another linebacker. So they had issues at linebacker, even though Cowboys fans would like to think that their linebacking core was really, really solid. What it was was really, really inconsistent. And now they got themselves some uh, some big players. Keanu Neal, Micah Parsons is going to start right away, and uh, their their defense is going to be immediately better, in my opinion. As far as losses go, I mean, you know, obviously Andy Dalton, he's gone. They'll have to go through this season with you know with different backups. Uh, Garrett Gilbert going to be the immediate backup, as far as I know, in uh, in Dallas's QB two. But they also lost uh, a few guys. They lost uh, Awuzie, the corner, and. Um, a couple other guys. I know they had Alden Smith on the team last year. He's gone. He's with the Seahawks, and they lost safety Xavier Woods to the to the Vikings. So, not a whole lot of departures that are going to make a big difference on the field. But look, a lot of people are predicting this team to win the NFC East, and rightfully so. They're extremely talented. They've got uh, when the offensive line is healthy, one of the best offensive lines in the league. Certainly one of the most highest paid offensive lines in the league. If they could just shore up their defense, I mean that's you know that was the issue last year. Defensively, 473 points given up. They were 28th in the league in defense, and look, they were outscored by a ton of points last year, especially after Dak Prescott got hurt. The offense went to the tank, and that was it. They ended up six and ten on the season, and obviously a disappointing season for for the Cowboys as well. They they have done some things to shore up the defense. And with Dak Prescott coming back, and as I mentioned, if the offensive line stays healthy, I do believe it's going to be a big season for Ezekiel Elliott, who is, I, I think, I think he's ready. He's had enough kind of seasons where you're like, I don't know if he's going to be the long-term, you know, decision that they should have made and shouldn't have given him that money. I think this is the year where everybody says that's the guy. Yeah, that's that's the player that that they drafted. That's the guy that they expected to get. Uh, when they brought him in, and and I think we're going to see, I, I think we're going to see a big year out of Ezekiel. That's just, that's just a prediction that I have. When you look at their their wide receiver wide receiver lineup, obviously they've got Amari Cooper, you know, great route runner, great hands, and C.D. Lamb, who's ready to make that next step. I think he's. We talked about sophomore slumps. I talked about who I think is going to be the sophomore slump player this year. I think it's going to be Justin Herbert. I think CeeDee Lamb is the antithesis of that. I believe that CeeDee Lamb is going to be the guy that has a huge season this year in his sophomore season because if Dak Prescott can stay healthy and, as my prediction, if that if Ezekiel Elliott has a big year, as I'm predicting, that's going to open up the passing game, and CeeDee Lamb, I think, is going to be the, the instant benefactor uh, of all that. And as I mentioned, the offensive line, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Lyle Collins, all back. Uh, this year for the Cowboys. That is a huge, huge plus for them. And, again, if they can stay healthy, that's a great offensive line. The Cowboys, as I mentioned, certainly the most talented team in the NFC East. They are poised to win that division. It's going to be a tough-fought division, though, 
because there are certain things happening in that division that we may just have to see what happens between the lines. Washington football team, one of the best defenses in the league, if they can just figure out a way to score like 18 points a game, they're going to be flat-out dangerous, and they're going to win a lot of football games. They've got a great coach, a phenomenal defense, a lot of talent on on the defensive side of the ball. They just need to figure out a way to score some points. If they can figure out a way to score points, they're going to be a real handful. And the New York Giants, who I think also have one of the better offensive lines, I know that other people have been kind of down on their offensive line, but I think it's going to be a good offensive line for the uh, for the New York Giants. They just got to stop turning the ball over. They're, they they got their quarterback Daniel Jones has got to figure things out as far as turning the ball over. If they can do that, they're they're going to be trouble as well. Philadelphia is going to be the worst teams in the league, uh, so I don't worry about them. But Cowboys looking very good right now and obviously talented. And we'll wait and see. You know the 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 new the new scheme on defense. Dan Quinn. Look, he's a, he's a proven commodity as a defensive coordinator. I think he makes changes right away that will benefit the team. And I do like Mike Nolan um, as a defensive coordinator, and I feel like the team last year got themselves into so much trouble offensively. Look, they you know they faced a, a, you know a ton of teams that scored a lot of points on them, and largely because the offense was was ineffective. I think they were like 18th in scoring last year on offense after Dak Prescott left. So. You know, they had some trouble, but uh, no no question that uh, they needed a change at defensive coordinator, and they added some linebackers, as I mentioned. The, the, the defense will be better this year, and if the defense is as good as it's being projected, then the Cowboys are looking to be a double-digit win team in this new 17-game season. Now, on to the other side with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were mentioned in my bold predictions, my two early, my early bold predictions for the 2021 season. I believe that they're going to be the most disappointing team in the NFL this year. And when I say disappointing, I mean that in the, in the highest regard, because the Pittsburgh Steelers are a model of winning records. 15 years under Mike Tomlin have never had a losing record. 15 seasons, never had a losing record. Last year, they started the season 11-0. I mean, we're just like, wow, just when you thought the Pittsburgh Steelers were done, they start 11-0. and And then things got bad. They went 1-4 and down the stretch. They finished the season 12-4 and and had a, a just a, a, an absolute, just got absolutely bombed in the, in the playoffs. Now, they draft Najee Harris, who in, I love. I, I'm a, one of the biggest Najee Harris fans you'll, you'll ever see, and that's not because I'm an Alabama fan. I just love the way the kid plays football, and I think his skill set is remarkable. And he brings, literally brings everything to the table from the running back position, everything. He's got speed. He's got power. He's, a, he's got awareness. He's smart. He's got great vision. He's got elusiveness, and he can come out of the backfield and catch passes. Oh, and also, by the way, he has been rated one of the better pass protection as far as when you go max pro, pass protection running backs in the draft as well. That will be remain to be seen because there are some talented pass rushers in the NFL that he'll be having to deal with. But uh, bringing him in with the number one uh, with the first-round pick, pick 24th overall, I think he is a guy that's going to shine in that, particular, in that particular organization there with the Steelers for, for many, many years. They lost some guys in the offseason, did the Pittsburgh Steelers. Lost James Conner, of course. He's with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Bud Dupree, who has been a great edge rusher for them, 
went to the Titans. Now, he did get hurt last year, torn ACL, but he had uh, eight sacks before he was uh, before he injured himself in Week 11. So that's going to be a big a big loss for them. Uh, and they lost uh, Marquise Pouncey, of course, the uh, future Hall of Fame center, possibly Hall of Fame center, who retired after playing 134 games for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers in his career. They also lost their right tackle Alejandro Villanueva to the Ravens. So they lost some dudes and two big ones on the on the offensive line. Now they do bring in new a new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. Matt Canada, if if you're if you're not familiar with him, runs a really, really old school scheme that worked really, really well for many years in New England, right? The New England Patriots ran his scheme. The, it's the EP scheme, the uh, the uh, uh, Earhart uh, Perkins, the Ray Perkins scheme from way, way, way back. It's it's basically a simplified version of a West Coast style offense. They're going to throw the ball a lot. In fact, last year I don't th- I think only one team threw the ball on more occasions than the Pittsburgh Steelers. The, the Steelers were 31st in the NFL last year in run play percentage. Uh, they were throwing the ball, you know, almost every snap, it seemed like. Um, I think only Jacksonville had had a worse run play percentage than the than the Pittsburgh Steelers did. That's bad news. If, if they want to try to win football games on Ben Roethlisberger's arm, look, I think I think Ben's arm is is done. I think it's it's dead. Uh, I don't think that he has anything left in the tank. And that's what should be worrisome for Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Obviously, an ultimate tough guy and a guy who is going to be in the Hall of Fame in Ben Roethlisberger, and he has had a tremendous career for the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's no doubting that. But I think when you look at how much they're going to rely on him this year, I just I don't I don't see it being a great recipe for success. And when I'm saying that most disappointing team in the league, I mean that in saying that they were 11 and 0 to start the season last year. They finished 12 and 4. Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season in 15 years with the Steelers. This is a, a one of the three cornerstone franchises of the NFL, and and many franchises look to the Steelers as a way to you know this is how we're going to run our run our franchise. We want to run it like the, like the Pittsburgh Steelers do. Okay, very difficult to do. When I say disappointing, I mean this is a team that could potentially go eight and nine, seven and ten in this new seventeen game season, and and not make the playoffs. Okay, that's that's just kind of when I say most disappointing because I think for a lot of people not seeing the Steelers in the in the playoffs would be I mean it would be like there's the sun didn't come out that day or something so you got Ben Roethlisberger quarterback of course Mason Rudolph his backup um, they've got a, a a pretty good stable of running backs as of course headlined by Najee Harris Juju Smith-Schuster makes his return at wide receiver there for the Steelers alongside Chase Claypool James Washington, Deontay Johnson, um, those guys will be there. Eric Ebron and Pat Freermuth are going to be the tight ends, so uh, they're going to be running a lot of double tight end sets, in my opinion, to try to help that offensive line. And then, of course, uh, Zach Banner, the right tackle, I think is the, the, the best of their – their right side is the best side of their offensive line. Trey Turner and Zach Banner. Zach Banner's a really good offensive tackle, actually. Uh, so they've got a good right side. The left side is going to be remain to be seen what happens there. And then Kendrick Green at the center, but look, you know we're going to we're going to be able to see them really early, and I don't know how many of the starters are going to play. It's the Hall of Fame game; these guys are just shaking off the cobwebs 
from the offseason. So we're looking forward to uh, to seeing our first bit of NFL football coming up on uh, on next Thursday. So there's your previews for the Cowboys and the Steelers. Prediction, I think I think the Cowboys are good enough to finish the season 10-7 and seven and win that NFC West by kind of like a tiebreaker situation. I think Washington is also going to be very good. They're going to be in every game. That's, that's the one thing for Washington. They're going to be in every game because their defense is so damn good. Uh, and then the Giants have some talent, and they're going to be able to, to win some games as well. I think the Cowboys do win the NFC East, though, and will represent them in the, in the playoffs. And then, as the Cowboys do, will lose in the first round of the playoffs to whomever they draw. The Pittsburgh Steelers, as I mentioned, I think they're in for their first losing season under Mike Tomlin. Eight and nine, I think, is is a is a I think it's a reasonable prediction for the Steelers. If the wheels fall off, if Roethlisberger gets hurt, Mason Rudolph not a great backup. I think six and eleven, seven and ten could be a situation for the for the Steelers this year. And also, let's not forget. We know how good Cleveland and Baltimore are. We, we don't need to discuss that right now. We'll talk about those two teams coming up later in our NFL previews. But let's also not forget that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to get a healthy Joe Burrow back and really liked what I saw out of him in the short amount of time that we got to see him last season. If the Bengals turn out to be as good and as explosive and electric as we saw last year, they could give some teams some trouble as well and may be able to sneak out a, a win somewhere against like the Pittsburgh Steelers that would keep them out of the playoffs and such. So there you go. That's my prediction for the uh, for the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And our NFL previews are officially underway on a, here on a football Friday. And, of course, on the Jeff Dean Show, we talk NFL every single day here, regardless of the season, regardless of the date. We are going to talk NFL at least every hour here on the Jeff Dean Show. Coming up next... We'll get into the NBA draft and also more some, some more from college football as the SEC expansion has drawn a, a comparison, I think, in my opinion. I, we'll share that with you coming up a little bit later. The, the, uh, uh, the, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a comparison that I kind of like, and I'm not exactly you know, sold on it, but we're going to try it on you anyways, and we'll see if you like it. With school just around the corner, we want to help you and the student in your life get the supplies that they need to succeed. ESPN Tucson is giving you the chance to win a $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. You can register once per day through August 9th. Just go to ESPNTucson.com, follow the directions, and you can register to win that $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree right there. Good luck. The Jeff Dean Show returns right here on ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Got some uh, Tucson Sugar Skulls tickets coming up before the end of the show. Sometime in the next 30 minutes, we'll be giving you the cue to call for those Sugar Skulls tickets to go see the Sugar Skulls take on the Northern Arizona Wranglers tomorrow at 6 p.m. at the Tucson Arena. So stay tuned could be happening any moment the NBA draft was last night and even though it got overshadowed by some of the NBA trades that were going on specifically the Lakers dealing for Russell Westbrook but nonetheless it did occur and some teams drafted some players that we thought they would and yesterday I was mentioning who my essentially my top players were and those players went one through four in the NBA draft 
I'm not sitting here like, like oh, you know, I'm the I'm the Nostradamus of the NBA draft. I just I know talent when I see it. And you could tell that Cade Cunningham was the best player available in this draft, and he went number one overall to the Detroit Pistons, and they made a great choice in getting a a lead ball handler and a distributor and a scorer who's six foot eight, who you know just screams NBA talent and long NBA career uh, from you know from every pore, and you know people that were wanting to compare him to Ben Simmons, that just needs to stop. He's nowhere near the disaster that Ben Simmons is. The Houston Rockets went out and got Jalen Green with the number two overall pick. I mentioned Jalen yesterday with just the ridiculous ability to score. I mean, just there are some there are some NBA scouts and GMs that believe that he will at some point in his career have a 30-point-per-game season and lead the NBA in scoring. He's definitely got that kind of potential. He's a little bit raw, but his quickness, his shooting ability, and his ability to just score. I mean, the guy just gets buckets. It's like he's like you – remember, you remember Cedric Sabalos back in the day? Like, Ced would come off the bench for the Phoenix Suns. We're talking about Ced in, in the 90s in the, in the Phoenix Suns. He would come off the bench, and he would play uh, – you know, he, he would get like 18 minutes, let's say, in, in a game. And he'd score 25 points in those 18 minutes. It happened all the damn time. Like, he would just get on the floor, and all of a sudden it's like, bang, 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 bang. The sun's going like an 8-2 run. And it's been Cedric Sabalos with six of the eight points. He just, the guy just knew how to get buckets. He wasn't an exceptional shooter. It wasn't like he had exceptional size. He wasn't high-flying and, you know, running through the air. I mean, he was a great dunker. Um, but he wasn't that guy that, that played consistently above the rim. He was just a guy who filled the net with the basketball, and he did it with ease. He was so quick, and he could get to his spots. That's kind of like Jalen Green, like a lot like a, a Zach Levine. And Zach Levine, a high flyer, obviously, a guy who has some ridiculous highlight dunks in, uh, in his NBA career, uh, a lot like Jalen Green. And then, in my opinion, the second-best player overall in this draft, second-best player, Evan Mobley, went number three to the Cleveland Cavaliers, He's the only player in Pac-12 history to win Freshman of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and Pac-12 Player of the Year. That's saying a lot because there have been some really good players in this league over the years. So first person ever to do that, and he's got it all. He's he's a seven-foot center who can play the power forward position. He can handle the ball at the at the top of the key. He's a rim runner. He can shoot. He plays great defense. He's a good kid, uh, like all those things, like, like everything all wrapped up into one, and the Cleveland Cavaliers got themselves a future star. Scotty Barnes, the the athletic freak from Florida State, goes number four to the Toronto Raptors and rounding out the top five, Jalen Suggs. Now, the, the, the Orlando Magic on, on lottery night were visibly upset about getting the number five overall pick. The Orlando Magic were obviously terrible. Uh, last year, and they have been terrible for quite some time. Visibly upset about getting the number five overall pick when they had the they were the odds-on favorite to get the number one pick in the in the lottery. Got stuck at number five. Were very upset. I think they made out like gangbusters in getting Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. When I watched when I watched Jalen this year, and specifically in the tournament, I saw a, a guy who's a killer. I mean, Jalen Suggs is a is a dude who goes out there. He knows the game of basketball. 
he has ridiculous athleticism. He plays incredible defense. He's strong. He's got a an incredible high, incredibly high basketball IQ, which is something you cannot coach. You cannot teach that. It just happens. Uh, Jalen Suggs is a remarkable basketball player, and the only reason that he slipped is because the four guys above him are just athletic freaks. Jalen Suggs, a solid player, and the Orlando Magic should be extremely happy with their pick. Now, surprisingly, I, mean, I shouldn't say surprisingly, for the first time in a long time, there were no Arizona Wildcats drafted in this draft. I think we all know why. There's been certain things, of course, happening within the program, and for you know, for reasons that that occurred, their players that have played at Arizona that had either transferred or just weren't eligible or didn't decide to enter the draft this season, and they didn't. There weren't any NBA draft picks for the uh, for the Arizona Wildcats this year, and uh, and that's okay because I think next year is going to be a boom for the Arizona Wildcats in the NBA draft. And I think in several years to come, at least if reading the crystal ball of players that are going to be in this program for at least this year and next year, I think the next couple and three years of the NBA draft are going to be a good spot for uh, for Wildcats. Pac-12 players of note, Zaire Williams going all the way up to number 10 to New Orleans. This was an interesting pick because – Look, Zaire did not have a great season at Stanford, played 20 games, was hurt quite a bit, looked like the knee was a bit of a problem for him. He had difficulty getting his shot off in many cases and was the third or fourth option on that team in many situations down the, down the floor on offense and especially in crunch time. So Zaire Williams going 10th tells me that New Orleans was reading his high school and his recruiting information more than they were watching him play at Stanford. Now, I'm not going to say that Zaire Williams is a bad player. He may have just had a, a, a rough season, as I think we can all understand as what Stanford players were going through without having a home for so much for so long because Palo Alto had basically shut the players out and said, stay away. Um, so it was a difficult season for, for all the Stanford players, and I think it, it certainly affected a young man like Zaire Williams. But uh, going all the way up to 10th, I thought was a surprise. Another surprise was ASU's Josh Christopher being drafted 24th overall. Uh, I'm not here to, like, you know, hound on these kids and say that it's a it's a dumb move or anything. I just I feel like a, a player like Josh Christopher, who was criticized not only from within his own program, you know, but by a lot of the people who watched film on him, is, he just uh, as a guy who just kind of quit on his team, to be honest with you, and not exactly sure, you know, what they saw in his game. I mean, obviously he's got a lot of talent, um, just not sure about the mentals. And, again, it was a tough year for young men to play, be, you know, be playing amateur sports, whether it be football or basketball this year because of all the COVID restrictions and such. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, with Josh Christopher and all the other Pac-12 players that were drafted in the NBA draft this year. All right, this is your time right now, 520-719-1490, 719-1490. We're going to give away the pair of those uh, Sugar Skulls tickets, the final pair to give away this week. Uh, remember, you must be able to pick them up today by 2 p.m. at the uh, at the studios at ESPN Tucson. But uh, call now, 719-1490. We're going to take caller number two. Caller number two at 719-1490 going to win themselves a pair of those Sugar Skulls tickets. We're going to take a break. When we return, some more college football right after this. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. 
Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Congratulations to Matthew Villa, our winner of the Sugar Skulls tickets on this football Friday. Congratulations, Matthew. Thank you for listening and enjoy the game tomorrow night at the Tucson Arena and go Sugar Skulls. The Texas Board of Regents unanimously voted just a uh, few minutes ago to formally accept their invitation to join the SEC, as the school announced just recently, just moments ago. What a surprise, right? What a surprise that it was a unanimous decision to go make hundreds of millions of more dollars in the SEC. Oklahoma Board of Regents is meeting currently and will be voting, and I'm sure we'll be hearing about that very, very shortly. The realignment and the SEC expansion, and I'm going to make I'm going to make a little bit of an analogy here, I'll draw a comparison. It's similar to me to the way the 24 hours of Le Mans were in the 1960s. Now, if you're if you're not a motorsports fan, you're just like, you know what? Think about the movie Ford versus Ferrari. If you've if you've seen the movie Ford versus Ferrari, first of all, for motorsports motorsports fans like myself. Uh, like myself, it's not exactly the most accurate depiction of everything that happened during that era, but it's fun, it's entertaining, um, and it is exciting. It's an exciting movie, and it's close enough, and it's 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 good enough. Um, it's nice to put an event like 24 Hours of Le Mans on the big screen like that because it is uh, just a remarkable and, and a historical event in uh, in world sports. But I I compare it to. The way the 24 Hours of Le Mans was in the 1960s. Ferrari had all of the money. They had all of the, uh, you know, all of the technology. They were winning 24 Hours of Le Mans. They, they were like skating to victory, crossing the finish line with all of their cars, while half of the rest of the field couldn't even get their cars started on the, on the, the starting line. Like, it was that bad. Like, they just absolutely dominated in that era because they had gotten some uh, look over time and look they had won several 24 hours of Le Mans before in like the the 1930s and such and the 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 1940s but 24 hours of Le Mans was largely won by just kind of whoever got lucky Porsche won a bunch of them back in the day Bentley um, Alfa Romeo was winning some you you know back in the day uh, Bugatti won a couple. I think Mercedes won one. Jaguar even won some some Le Mans. But Ferrari is the one who really broke the mold. And in 1958, they started winning with relative ease. And it wasn't until somebody decided to punch back, essentially. Someone decided to spend the money that it took to compete with Ferrari at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And it's very similar, I think, to what's going on right now with the SEC. And it wasn't because Ferrari had expanded. Ferrari stayed very, very small. So that's where the similarity is different. But Ferrari had all the money. They had all the tech. And they had the best drivers. They had the best mechanics. They had the best engineers. And nobody could compete with them. And it was looking like it was going to be the 24 hours of Ferrari for a while until Ford said no no more of this. We need to do something different. We need to be aggressive. We need to make some headlines. We need to create some waves, and we're going to spend the money to do it, damn it. And they did. 
they went and spent the money that was necessary to compete with the juggernaut that was Ferrari. And after years of tinkering and, and working and trying to rework the way that Le Mans was done, they came up, of course, with the Ford GT40, which went on and dominated for the uh, for the next four seasons at Le Mans before everybody else uh, started to, to catch up. And, you know, people like Porsche and stuff started dominating the 24 hours, and Porsche is now the, the dominant force, um, at least over the last, you know, 30 years or so, as well as like McLaren and Audi and such. But nonetheless, it took it took one one man, one team essentially to just put their foot down and say, we're not going to allow this to happen. We're not going to let Ferrari run away with this race and take it away from everybody else and just make it the, the annual Ferrari invitational losers break. <laughs> just I mean literally, folks, like it was it wasn't even it wasn't even fun like for people watching the sport. It was like, okay, we know Ferrari's gonna finish one, two, three, and that the rest of the field is probably not going to finish. Like that's how bad it was. And looking right now at the landscape of college football, SEC adding OU in Texas, they're obviously the biggest power in college football is the SEC. And if and when the college football playoff expansion occurs, the SEC will probably have somewhere between four and six representatives from their conference in the playoff every single year, which is a distinct unfair advantage. And especially when you start talking about finances, how much money the SEC is going to make from those four to six teams being in the playoff. It is, it's just going to be exponentially detrimental to the rest of the teams not in the SEC. So who is it that's going to step up and put their foot down and say, we're not going to let the SEC run away with this. This is still an American sport, damn it, and it is still, still going coast to coast, and we are not going to let some regional conference dominate and take away everything from you know from from the fans and from the rest of these programs that work so hard day in and day out to keep things going and to try to win championships. Who's going to do that? Who's going to be the conference that steps up and is willing to fork over the dough and be a little bit outrageous to to do these things? Now I'm not suggesting that the Pac-12 will do that because number 1 it really isn't the Pac-12's model to do that. We're really not the the you know dare to say different dare to be different type of conference okay um and and honestly the pac-12 is in no position monetarily to do anything like that but they would be an excellent dancing partner for a conference who is i'm looking at you big 10 the big 10 has been a conference that has said yeah we'll, we'll dare to be different now they certainly have a a, a, a set of schools and and football teams that are steeped and deeply steeped in history and tradition. But they've also been willing to step out of that kind of, uh, you know, the, the Midwest, you know, farmhand, you know, type of, of, of moniker that they've been given over the, over the decades. And they've branched out and they've done some interesting things. And they've got a lot of money and they've got a lot of power. And this is the conference that, if something is going to be done to keep the SEC from essentially turning it into the the NFL light where everyone is just watching the SEC and nobody gives a rip about any of the other 114 teams in college football, 
if somebody is going to stop that from happening, it's going to have to be the Big Ten. The Big Ten is going to have to step up because the ACC is is happy to go along because they're like, we got Clemson, we're good. We got Clemson, and eventually Florida State's going to figure things out, and, and they'll be great again, but we got Clemson. And they got a former, you know, they got a former Alabama head coach here. And the, the, the ACC is plenty happy to just sit back and and rest on their, you know, on their laurels and say, as long as we got Clemson competing every year, we're happy. You know, we got North Carolina. They're, you know, they're pretty good. Uh, you know, and as, as, of course, as I mentioned, Florida State will eventually figure things out, and then some other schools will pick up here and there from time to time and be good. Pitt, Miami, Vatek. Okay, Louisville has put together some some seasons before. They're they're happy, and not to mention they have Notre Dame playing in their football schedule, if you will. Okay, so the ACC is not going to do anything. They 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 don't need to. They make plenty of money. They've got a, a sweet contract with ESPN, and they've got teams competing in the in the NFL uh, the, uh, the the CFP playoff every single year. Specifically, Clemson, who is one of the best programs in the country. So. The Big Ten is going to have to be that conference that dares to be different, that puts their foot down and says, we will not allow the SEC to run away with college football and take take it away from from everybody else. Because I'm going to be honest with you, folks, that's where it's headed. Like you you look, look ahead, you look at what's happening in the world of college football, and not only just what the SEC has done over the last few weeks, but what they're planning on doing, it's scary. It's scary for the college football fans and how drastically things are changing right now. And if you're not, if you're not making the moves, then you're just going to be run over by the train. And as I mentioned, the Pac-12 is in no position to be the conference that does that, but they would be a phenomenal dancing partner for someone who does. If the Big Ten and the Pac-12 want to come to some kind of an agreement, and I know that regionally it's a nightmare. However, let's, let's contemplate this. Okay? I mentioned last week, just like they do in basketball where they have ACC Big Ten week, okay, and whoever the, the top projected team, let's say it's North Carolina and Michigan are the top two projected teams in their, those respective conferences, they play one another in a game, and then they just kind of go from there, and the teams at the bottom We'll play each other. You know, Nebraska's going to play, uh, you know, Virginia Tech or whoever. Virginia Tech's pretty good. Uh, but whomever, whomever, okay? What if what if the Pac-12 and the Big Ten did something similar but different? What if – look, Arizona-Illinois is not going to move a needle, okay? Not right now. If they, if they decided to home-and-home uh, home contracts with, with the two conferences, if they said we're going to do Arizona-Illinois, okay, because I think – most people would agree that those are those are similar programs at this stage in time. Okay, at this point in time, right now, Arizona, Illinois, very similar, the way that their track records have been over the last six, seven years. Okay, very similar, but that game's not moving any needles. Okay, we need to do something to shake things up. The the needle needs to be moved. What about Arizona playing Penn State? Okay, now, granted, as things stand right now, it's not a it's not a horribly competitive game. Okay, but what you do is you're getting people to watch that game because you say, look, Arizona's doing some things. They've got a new guy in there. And, you know, in three years or whatever, when Jed Fish is, is recruiting at a top 40, top 35 level at Arizona, we're getting some dudes and we're sending some guys to the NFL. 
and we're making waves and we're winning some football games, all of a sudden that becomes an intriguing matchup. And granted, it's not going to be the team that is projected to finish second in their league versus you know the team that's going to finish second in their league. It's going to be the team that's projected to finish second in their league versus the team that's finished to, fi- to finish seventh or eighth in their league. But nonetheless, it moves the needle. Arizona-Michigan is a needle-moving game. It's not a great matchup currently, but it is a great effect on moving the needle to get eyeballs on your football team and to make it a marquee matchup. Okay, Now, adversely, Oregon would not be playing Ohio State. Oregon would play Nebraska. Okay, Now, Nebraska, obviously, a, a big needle mover here specifically in the Southwest because of all the Nebraska grads and fans, and Nebraska is still a big market team as far as college football goes because there is a lot of pride and a lot of history in that program. But they're not moving the needle right now. They're not any good. But if you had Oregon, Nebraska, all of a sudden you've got a team that's competing for national championships, potentially taking on a a once-proud program that is still trying to find their way in this new era of college football. Okay? You take USC and you put them up against Maryland, travel all the way across the country to play on the East Coast. People don't ever get to see USC in Maryland. These are the kinds of matchups that you would that you would see because you could potentially see USC Ohio State in a playoff game. Let's table that for the end game. But for moving the needle in the non-con, okay, unless it's going to be a big money matchup where there's a big sponsor played at a neutral site, those games should not be played. You need to tip the bottom and the tops of the of the rankings essentially for each each conference and have those teams play one another. Those are the games that are going to get eyeballs. Because if you have if you if you blow your wad on Oregon, Ohio State and Michigan, USC, then you again you're going to be stuck with Arizona, Illinois, Washington State, Rutgers. I, I mean, people aren't going to watch those games. So you got to you got to go tip top you, know, you you do you do stanford versus rutgers right again that may not move any needles either but i digress just a thought just a thought just putting that out there all right we're going to take a time out when i return we'll put a big bright red shiny bow on today's edition of the jeff dean show you're listening here on 1490 am 104.9 fm espn tucson more of the jeff dean show on 1490 am 1049 fm espn tucson welcome back final segment today's football friday edition of the jeff dean show speaking of the the show of course you can tune in on am 1490 fm 104.9 you can go to the website espn tucson.com and and uh, stream live that's where all my people up in phoenix are listening to what's up phoenix um, there we have podcast locations now, folks. You can download the show and listen at your leisure at the following podcast locations. We have Amazon Music. We have Audible, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. And I think the only thing we're missing is Google Podcasts, right? Like, we got to get that one. Where, where are we at on the Google? Like, I'm sitting here as one of the minority Android users and even deeper into the minority as one of the people with a Google Pixel phone. So I have, like, Google Pods, like, right here, Google Podcasts, and I can't get my own show on Google Podcasts. But you can get it on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
and tune in. So plenty of places for y'all to get. And I'm just kidding. I can get my own podcast on four of those five outlets there. I could probably even get on Apple Podcasts somehow. They'd probably make it available to us Android users, us, us social pariahs out there. One of the, 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 one of the, I think probably one of the biggest questions I get from the listeners, from the fans, are the, the question is, one of the biggest ones I get is, are you going to talk fantasy football? Okay. Now, here's my stance on fantasy football. I don't play fantasy football. I haven't played for a long time. Football and sports is my job, and the last thing I want to do is do my job for leisure. Second of all, as a diehard fan of the 49ers, it's difficult for me to ever cheer for another player who might be playing against the 49ers that day. So I don't play, just out of principle. I don't play fantasy football. I haven't played in a long, long time. But I think it's worthy of making a look into helping you all with your fantasy football because the deeper you get into fantasy football, the more you realize that watching film and and studying analytics and such can help you in your fantasy football. And I'm here to help you with that. So we can at least help you in that front, and we'll be doing that into the NFL season, making you better fantasy football GMs. Well, that's going to wrap up today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Congratulations to Matthew V and to all of our listeners who won Sugar Skulls tickets this week. And, of course, thanks to Mary for all her hard work behind the glass. Stay tuned for Spears and Ali today at 3 o'clock. And we'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. You're listening to ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson.